Mark 9, 2 through 10. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, and they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with him, but only Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what is this rising from the dead might mean. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is good, a God who is faithful. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God uh, not of momentary plans, but of all time. We thank you that you are eternal, that you are all-powerful, that you are omniscient, that you know everything, and that you have planned and purposed all creation to proclaim your glory, that you reign over all things, that you are the perfect and that we exist to display your perfection. I pray, Father, that you would help us to rest under your word. I pray that you would help us to listen when we ought to listen and to speak when we should speak. I pray you would help us to marvel at your faithful work in the giving of and the enduring nature of your word. We pray that you would give this grace, Father, not because we deserve it, but because your Son has purchased it on our behalf. That you, by your Spirit, would empower our hearts not just to hear, but to understand and to know. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. The text. Look with me again at verse 2 through 4. It says, And after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and led them up on a high mountain, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. First we see Jesus transfigured. I want to encourage you, as I was reading Mark, continuing to read Mark this week, continue to look at commentaries. I said last week that I think the, king, the power of the kingdom of God came in Acts 2 when the Spirit was given to his people. And, and that is true, and, and I think there is a power there. But uh, as I was looking this week and studying this week, I, I became convicted to think, I think what's happening is even more clear here than what I was saying last week. And, and he says that, and, and after six days, Jesus took with him. And so it's stating that, that some there would see the kingdom of God in power before they die. And then it immediately transitions to say, and six days later, 
What happened? Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and they saw the kingdom and power in the Son of Man. They saw exactly what Jesus said some would see. These three, a select three. And so I would be convicted, yes, the kingdom comes in power in Act 2, and yes, as I said last week, the kingdom will come in completion or culmination in, in the end. But what's happening here in Mark, my conviction now would be, though those other things are true, uh, after looking this week and wrestling, and, and maybe if I wrestled more, things would change, but it seems very clear in just the language of the text, there's a transition saying, and these men here saw the kingdom come in power. Because where Christ is, is the presence of the kingdom of God. And we've seen that throughout the gospel, that where Jesus is, sin ceases. Where Jesus is, sin is rebuked, healing is done, demons are cast out, miracles are performed, the perfect word of God is displayed, where Christ is, is the kingdom. But the kingdom in power is displayed in what we call here the transfiguration. Or that he is, it, it, it's the same root word as our word metamorphosis, that he is transformed. He is changed before their eyes. And it describes it here in Mark as his clothes became radiant, intensely white. And he's trying to think, how can I describe this? And, and maybe Mark's thinking, or Peter's thinking of his grandma, who she knew how to bleach some clothes, right? Like there are people on this earth, and you might think modern laundry does it best, but there are people on this earth that know how to bleach, bleach clothes in an ancient way, in ways you've never seen. When Lauren and I were in Haiti, in the beginning of our marriage, and Lauren for many years prior to that, uh, when I've spent time in Uganda, there are people who do not have normal laundry like we do, normal, <laughs> normal machines that do their laundry and free them from that, right? That's not normal, be thankful. But they're just doing laundry old school style, and I see the river that they're doing it out of, and I'm like, that river looks like chocolate milk. And they show up to church on Sunday, and I've not seen clothes so clean. They have Sunday clothes that they have washed that are bleached in such a way that Mark and Peter is describing here doesn't even compare. The whitest of white. Luke says the radiance of his face. That Jesus is something otherworldly, that who he is is being displayed before them. Much like Moses says, show me yourself. And it says that the backside of the Lord passes by the cliff as light. It is often described as God reveals himself to people. He's revealed in light, a light that is not like any other light. A light that can only be described in ways of what it's not. It's even more than this. And that's what Mark does. He describes it saying, you might think of the grandma who makes the most intensely white shirt white. Nobody could bleach what Jesus did. It wasn't that a grandma had his clothes right before this. It was his clothes were radiating light in a way that you cannot imagine. He's transfigured. He's displayed to them in power and glory. Why? Well, I, I shared with you, I think part of it is what was just said, that these three men are seeing the kingdom in power. Also, it would be speculating, but why does Jesus choose to show this to them there at this time? Affirmation that he didn't die in weakness, but in meekness. Is, Peter is struggling with the idea that Christ is to die and suffer. What's being displayed to Peter right now is Christ is going to die and suffer, and he's not doing so in weakness. 
It is not, though, that Christ could do nothing to defend himself. Peter could be confused to say he is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He's not much to look at. Maybe he doesn't have a choice but to die at the hands of the Romans and the Jews. And here is displayed to Peter and to James and to John, this man is not under the power of any man. He is God. He is God. He did not die in weakness. He died in meekness. Meekness is to set aside or to restrain, to control your power for the good of others. Christ did exactly that. He is not meek because he must be, because he has no strength, no power, no ability. The transfiguration declares to Peter, this is the Son of God. This is the second person of the Trinity. This is a man like no man you know. And he does not have to die and suffer, except that he chose to. He planned to, he purposed to, in restraining or veiling his power to suffer and die. He did not die in weakness, he died in meekness. And, and that could very well be one of the reasons that he shows Peter this. But it's, it's speculated, he doesn't tell us why. But we know that's true. Also maybe to show them that he is greater than everything that has come before. Who's with Jesus at the Transfiguration? It says they saw two other men, right? If you know biblical history, you know who these two men are. Moses, the giver of the law. Moses is the one who would represent the law. As Jesus refers to the first five books of the Bible, Jesus says Moses wrote those. He says these are the writings of Moses. This is the man who gave them the law under, under God. Elijah, the greatest of prophets. And so both the law and the prophets, everything that had come before is before him, with him, next to him. And, and part of that's why Peter's confused, right? Why Peter sees this and goes, whoa, these are probably three of the greatest men that have ever lived. We should build tents for them. Peter's confused because what's being displayed before him are the, the patriarchs of the whole Old Testament, in a sense, because Moses represents all of those men, the law, the giving, what came, Abraham and the tribe of Jacob, and Elijah representing all the prophets, the proclamation of God, he who speaks for God. Very well could be that is exactly why this event takes place. I think it accomplishes both of those, whether that be exactly what God had intended. Intended. But we speculate. What is not speculated, what is clearly in the text, is what this was to declare. Right? As he is transfigured, he's before them, he's radiantly bright, wider than anything you could picture. Elijah and Moses are with him. And Peter questions what's going on here. What happens? There's a declaration. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. We know God's intention here is to proclaim who Christ is, to proclaim his authority, to proclaim why he should be worshipped. To display that and then to declare that. And so all those other things could be what God was working in providence. But the intention here of what he's doing and displaying to Peter and James and John is this is the Messiah. This is the one. This is my son. This is the second person of the Trinity. Listen to him. 
It's the echo of Hebrews 1 that in many times and in many ways God has spoken to his people. But in these last days, he has spoken by his son. Listen to him. Whatever God was accomplishing here in the time with his disciples, we can't be definite. But in what he was displaying and declares to us, we can be. This is the son of God. Listen to him. The transfiguration is an amazing display of that. And as the most amazing display is happening, Jesus is transfigured. Peter is transfoot in mouthed. Point number two, verses five and six. The display of Christ in radiant glory. Elijah and Moses with him. They're discussing, Luke tells us what they're discussing is his end, his death, why he will die in Jerusalem. Peter may be overhearing that, again, now is concerned, maybe just overwhelmed. The text tells us exactly what's going on, for he did not know what to say because he was terrified. He's in fear. The glory of God is before him. Peter, like every man who has ever stood before the glory of God, has a present feeling. I am not worthy. He's fearful. He's unsure what to do. And Peter, in the fashion of his gifting, and the man he was made, when he doesn't know what to do, he talks. And he puts his foot right in his mouth by doing so. Peter proclaims, if you look with me at verse 5, he says, And Peter, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Because he didn't know what to say, what does he say? Verse 5, again, sorry, skip to verse 6. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, not son of God, Rabbi, teacher, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Other Gospels don't include this. I think it's a picture of the humility of Peter that Peter says this needs to be part of this story. His failure to recognize what was going on. And Peter includes in his Gospel or the Gospel of Mark, which comes from the life of Peter through the pen of Mark. He did not know what to say. And notice if you don't know what to say, you don't have to say anything. For many of us, we struggle with this, right? When you are in a situation, you speak. You don't know what to say. What do you do? You say something. I often get myself in trouble with Lauren because she'll say something, and I just say what I think would be funny next because I feel like I have to say something. And she's like, why do you have to say that? I don't know. It just happens like, boop, boop. You don't have to speak. James says it's better to listen. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, Peter probably feels the pressure of many of you, many of you is leading. This morning, if I came up here and I was like, guys, I'm totally convicted by what Peter did. So. I wanted to let it get real awkward. <laughs> right? There are times you must speak. It doesn't say be slow to hear and do not speak. 
a quick to hear in due season. I'm struggling with it already. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. It doesn't say don't speak. You must speak. But you must not always speak. And this is a time in life where Peter, he could have just not spoken. You say, well, he's got to say something. But tell James and John, because they're there. What would they do? <laughs> they're, they're observing they're listening they're hearing Peter is directly rebuked again in one sense he says no Peter not good teacher this is my beloved son listen to him don't just speak listen to him hear him Peter it's good for us to, to reflect on this. Peter's humility, and you can see that in First Peter as he writes as an older man, and to record it here, that Peter recognizes, and even in the text states, I said this because I didn't know what to say. He could have just been quiet. But were he to be quiet in the province of God, were God not to let his foolishness be displayed, you might not be so encouraged to know that it is not your ability and perfection, but the grace of God that perfects you. Peter's failure, again, does not condemn him. It clarifies for him. Jesus in love comes and rebukes Peter, and now God in the cloud comes and clearly states for Peter, Peter, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Your failure is not your finish. It is a step in your faithfulness because he has finished it. It is done in Christ. Peter is not over. He is under the glory of God. And in that, Peter does things like this. We also see that Peter is bold to speak. The man who could not keep his mouth closed here cannot close his mouth in Acts 2, proclaiming the Jesus who is. And God still acts in grace toward Peter. Actually, it's later in Acts 3, I believe, instead of Acts 2. We added the numbers. That's right, Charlie. That's just funny. So later, as Peter proclaims, God shows him grace again because you know what your Bible says? And with many other words, Peter proclaimed the gospel. God edits him. I take comfort in that as a preacher and that there are oftentimes you're wishing a cloud would just appear and God would say, and with many other words, Jake shared the gospel. We're done. Right? No, he says he uses the words in which we speak. God is your divine editor. You often feel as though you're speaking just because you have to. You don't know what else to do. And God in grace, I am often surprised after a message what people come and tell me they learned from the message for various reasons. Sometimes I'm surprised. I'm like, you must have been doing something else. <laughs> right? Or I have to go back and listen to that audio. I, I don't believe the Spirit just takes me over and I say things I don't understand. But maybe that's what happened. And sometimes I'm like, that is so inside. I wish I would have expressed it in the way you just did. I wish God would have worked in that way. And I'm thankful that the Spirit works in the heart to transform, to help in our weakness. And Peter is an amazing example of that. And the most amazing display is lost on Peter in his words. But Peter is not lost because of the grace of Christ. Jesus is transfigured. Peter is transfoot and mouthed. And there is then clarity in the cloud. 
As the cloud comes around them, he said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is not an equal voice to Moses and Elijah. This is not just another great man on earth. This is not just a servant of the Lord. This is the beloved Son of God. Peter, James, John, Christian, world, listen to him. The clarity comes in the cloud. Listen to him. God's words to Peter and James and John are ever important. It is the mission of Christians in evangelism that people would listen to Jesus, that they would hear the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel, that they would hear the truth of what Christ proclaims, that they would have their mouth, as Romans says, shut before him and to hear him that their clarity and their own lack of righteousness, their own failure, their own mistakes, their own inability, their transgression, their sin, and their iniquity, their complete deadness spiritually before God would be silence. And they would hear the truth. And what would come out of their mouth is confession from their heart and belief from their mind and all of their person completely resting in Christ. That they would listen to Him. And that does not end with the Gospel. Christian, your life needs to be dependent and determined on Christ and that you seek to listen to Him. Matthew 28 tells us, what is the mission of the church? To go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And how are disciples made? Baptizing them you could just take that and however you want if we didn't have other texts. Baptism is not a forcible act, right? You're not taking screaming humans and dipping them in water. Baptism is an act that declares what Christ has already done. It is a declaration of evangelism functioning, that they have been reborn as Brandon and Mariah were baptized, the, the rejoicing and the grace of God to see these are lives reborn, regenerated by the work of Christ. Baptizing them, declaring the faithfulness of the Spirit in our sharing of the Gospel to regenerate humans and declaring that publicly in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that they belong to Him. And then what? Teaching them to obey all that He has commanded. Christian, you will often be told if you think you need to take the Bible and apply it to all of your life, and hold to that, and whatever Jesus says is rule and law, you will be called a legalist. You'll be told, you live to follow the rules. You're a legalist. You're a burden to people. They are free in Christ. Why do you demand that they listen to what He says? Because that's His command. Teach them with patience, with grace, with humility, and with what He says. To obey all that he has commanded. Listen to him. The clarity in the cloud is that this is the one who has authority. This is the one who reigns over all authorities that have come. This is the beloved Son of God. And praise God. 
Again, Peter is not lost for his confusion on the ground. Coming down from the high cloud, as Jesus has already proclaimed, remember just prior to this, he has plainly said to them that he must suffer under the hands of the rulers, that he will die, and that he will raise again in three days. Coming down the mountain, just as Elijah and Moses and Jesus are discussing it, Jesus is debriefing with the three, James and John and Peter, and in his debriefing, coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man was risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning, what does this rising from the dead line mean? They kept it to themselves so much, they didn't, they, in fear, they didn't even ask Jesus, what do you mean? They're just... What does he mean by rising from the dead? They're trying to figure out the spiritual hiddenness behind his statement. Jesus has said plainly, not being figurative, they are going to kill me, and I am going to rise from the dead in three days. You sympathize with them. This is hard to fathom. What do you mean you're going to rise from the dead? They're trying to figure out what it means. It means he's going to be like, He's going to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Right? They're going to cause him to suffer, and then he's going to come out ahead of the game. I feel great. I've risen life. No, this isn't a metaphor. This is reality. He's going to be murdered, and in three days, he is going to rise from the dead in victory over the enemy. Sin and Satan and death. It is literal. But they're confused. And they find themselves confused. Maybe embarrassed to be the one that asked. Maybe Peter's like, I don't want God coming out of the cloud again, being like, no, wrong answer. Maybe just fearful. They're, they're literally walking down a mountain after Jesus has been transfigured before and have some sympathy for these dudes. Like, I'm often just dealing with six children and a wife and a job and pigs that I chose to have, and I'm like, I don't know what to do next. A little overwhelmed right now. I'm just going to trust that God is faithful, get through this moment, and I'll have some clarity later. Peter, James, John are probably just walking down the mountain like, I'm so glad Jesus is still here. Because I, I don't even know what he means. He's going to die and rise from the dead. What is going on? They're humbly dependent upon him. Whether they knew it or not, that's the fact. That's where they're at. Dependent upon every word he says. But they're questioning in their minds, what does this mean? What does it mean? And praise God, Jesus knows their thoughts and is going to continue to explain it. While you, Christian, walk with Christ, you walk with Christ in a way that is different than the disciples, particularly different from these three. We often think like, you know, we, we need that inner, inner circle and then people are bitter about the inner circle. Like, oh, how come these men get to be close to you? Not everyone, not even Jesus could have everyone close to him. In this scenario, Jesus takes just three, James, Peter, and John. The other disciples aren't included. And it's not as though the disciples don't have the same problems we do, right? We'll see just shortly later, the disciples are arguing, who's the greatest in the kingdom? They're probably looking at Peter, James, and John like, you got to go up on the mountain saying, you went, on the, you went to winter camp, and we had to stay here. <laughs> They're trying to figure out who's the greatest. They're not recognizing who the greatest is, Christ. But even in all of that, Jesus has 
those with him, those who were there to be able to ask him questions. Christian, he has loved you similar. You have the people of God. Don't be fearful to ask questions. Don't be fearful to speak and put your foot in your mouth in front of the people of God. Don't be fearful to make known what you don't understand because he wants you to understand. A lack of clarity is not your failure. It is an invitation to get clarity. If you don't understand, ask, pursue, seek to know. And praise God, he has been clear with us. He has made known, as he is saying plainly to his son, he's also said plainly to us. But if you as his disciple don't fully understand everything that was said, that's okay. What's not okay is to just be comforted in that and just move on and say, my experience is enough. I don't need to know the full story. And I thank God for Peter often because of his faithfulness in Christ. Because his failure displays to me the ongoing grace of Christ. And I want to help us apply this text, not just in the ways I have as we've looked through the text, but in Peter's own writing, by the Spirit of God, 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. If you turn there or look in your handout on the back under application, the true and trustworthy authority. As we look this morning, as Peter, James, and John see the transfigured Christ, they see a truth, they see the display of who God is right before them. You could think, I need an experience like that, right? You think, if God did that, I would never question again. If I had Jesus show up in grandma status bleached clothes, face lit up, and a cloud came over me and said, this is the Son of God, then I would believe. But recognize what the men who were with Jesus did in that moment. They were afraid and confused. It didn't fix all of their problems. Their dependence remains on the Son. And Peter makes that clear. Peter speaks of this very event. In 2 Peter 1, 16-21, he speaks of the very event in which we just saw recorded in the book of Mark. An incredible experience. An experience where I can guarantee none of you have had. Only three men, James and John and Peter, have had this experience with Christ. And as Peter is encouraging the saints, he encourages them thus. Look with me at 2 Peter 1.16. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, and for we were with him on the holy mountain. Jesus, rather Peter, by the Spirit, is speaking of the transfiguration. He's stating, we didn't come to you with made-up stories. We didn't come to you with cleverly devised myths. Right? In modern language, I think Peter would say, this isn't a movie or a comic book. 
This isn't something someone took the time to think about the beginning and the middle and the end to convince you of something. Movies are a manipulation tool. They are intended to manipulate you to a place of feeling and experience and understanding. I recently saw a movie done by a very short actor that was incredible about jets and planes. And before the movie, he tried to convince me to worship his work. He expressed to me the effort and the time that was put in to this and the real things in which he did and made effort that the lie might be more believable. And as I sat in the worship hall with the other worshipers and heard the preacher proclaim to me the power of his cleverly devised myth, I thought, God, please let us not wrap our lives around this. A lie. An open lie. An open lie which we theologize our lives around often. Christian, how often do you quote memes or movie quotes or song lyrics? How often are your thoughts about love and romance dictated by the, the rom-coms you've seen? How many times is your idea of what makes a man and makes a woman defined by the shows you watch and the films you see, the cleverly, openly lying myths around you, perfectly manicured to get you to believe something? And Jesus, under, rather Peter, under the authority of Christ, says here, we did not come with cleverly devised myths. We did not come with made-up stories. We did not come to convince you of something by trying to work out the plot. We came with a real experience. We came with reality. We came, I stood and saw Jesus trans, not me, Peter. Right? I'm dramatizing, which I just said was a bad idea. <laughs> Peter stood and saw the glory of God. He says, this is not a movie. It's not a meme. It's not a myth. It's not Aesop's fables. It's not the Greek gods. I saw God on earth, declared the Son holy, listened to Him, and I walked down with Him from the mountain and saw Him crucified. I'm not declaring to you clever stories. Peter could say the same, but I can't. Not a well-written and manicured and chosen sermon. He just says, I speak from what I know and saw with my own eyes. John says that we were those who heard and touched and saw him. And we write to you as eyewitnesses. But you know what's incredible about what Peter says here? Peter says all of that. And you might think Peter's point is you should believe him over other people, right? Believe Peter because of his experience. As though Peter's running a network market meeting and he's saying, look at me and look at my boat and look, I don't work at all anymore. All I do now is get money from people I tell that they don't have to work, so I don't have to work. And I just have to tell you about how I don't work, and now I don't have to work. So, not trying to confuse anybody, I'm trying to protect you. Peter's not saying, trust me because of my experience. Here's what Peter does. He says, this is a legitimate experience. This was God before me. This was God the Father coming in the cloud declaring, this is the Son. This is probably the most literal, displayed, actual, real life, 
declaration that Jesus is God that has ever happened. Peter was terrified and confused. He didn't know what was going on. And Peter says that. He says, but, verse, let me find it, 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Peter doesn't say, trust my experience. I'm the authority. He says, we have something more fully confirmed than my experience of which you do well to pay attention to as though it was a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We have something greater. Don't you want to know what this greater is? We have something more important, more affirmable, more recognizable, more declarative, has more authority than Peter's experience with Jesus. The prophetic word confirmed, declared, and known. The written word, knowing that first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from one's own interpretation. As we talked about this week in community groups, and we'll continue to talk about next week, this didn't come just from Peter's idea. The validity of the text of Scripture is rooted in that it is written by the Spirit, and it is declared to be that because it's 40 different authors over thousands of years, all declaring the same truth, declaring reality from what God has declared from Moses through Abraham, through the prophets, through the New Testament and the apostles, all together by the Spirit of God written under the hands of men, but the declarative Word of God, with no contradiction. Man cannot deny this Word. They can deny your experience. And you can be confused by your experience. Maybe many of you have had experiences in life where like Peter, you're just trying to figure out what happened there. Was that an angel? Was that a demon? Was that drunkenness? Was that bad pizza? What did that? Praise God, though many Christians live as though they must make all decisions by signs and wonders. They must have all their opinions and understanding and hope in Christ dictated by their experience. The Bible says, no, do not be so foolish to trust the experience of men. God has given you something more sure, affirmed over centuries, declared to all men here available to you, the Word of God, the prophetic Word, a lamp shining into a dark place, not just in your time, not just in your experience, not just in Peter's experience, for all time. As long as it remains dark, the word will shine as the light until the day dawns and the morning star rises and Christ returns and the word now lives before us. The word of God is sure. The word of God has authority over all of your experience. I don't care about your experience in authority. I care about your experience because you're my peeps. But your experience does not dictate authority. My experience does not dictate authority. What you have done, what you have seen, what you have read, what you have memed, does not dictate authority. The Word alone 
holds authority. The word alone is that which we can't stand on. The word alone is that which we must pay attention to. And there are good people and good books and good churches all pointing you back to that word. Because like Peter, you will have good, glorious, and often confusing experiences in your walk with God. But those experiences do not dictate the truth. The Word does. You've been given something more sure than yours or anyone else's experience. The prophetic Word of God. How kind of Him. How kind of Him to display and declare His authority in a way that is not argued by experience, but by the text. I remember as a young believer thinking, why does it have to be a book? Why? You remember Lord of the Flies you had to read in high school? You didn't. They made it into a movie. I just watched it and wrote my essay. Book after book after book. Do you notice people make movies about books that 11th graders have to read? Do you know why? Because 11th graders can drive. And when an essay is assigned, isn't it nice to drive to a theater instead of sit and read a book? Christian, don't be a lazy 11th grader who doesn't care about learning and just wants to play football. Be a man or a woman who knows that God has given given the word in a way that you can't deny, in a way that you can't fight, in a word, in a way that has been confirmed and clarified before you were ever born and will continue to be until you are long gone. You want your children to love the Lord, and it is a good and worthy effort. Give them the word, because you're going to die. You want your grandkids to love Christ. That is a good and worthy effort. Give them the word, because you're going to die. You want your neighbors to see what is undeniable and untrue, but only true. Not my words. I'm not authoritative. Only true, only faithful. Give them the word. Rest in the word, the written truth which he has declared. There is no other truth that stands up to scripture. The truths of man come and go. The wisdom of man is shamed in the face of God. Ancient archeologists and discovery, sociologists, psychologists, dietitians have all been shamed before the word of God. They declare to you what is true. Butter is evil and horrible, eat margarine. Just kidding. Now that it's the 90s, we realize margarine is plastic. Eat butter. They don't know. They don't know. They are trying to reason in their own reasoning. There's only one place you can go to for authority, for the ultimate truth. Let all the authorities in your life be those that reign under God's word. Because he is the authority. We do live in a dark place. It has been darker, and it might get darker. If you want to know how to run in the darkness, don't run to memes, don't run to movies. Don't start watching zombie apocalypse movies. They're not going to teach you how to live when the end comes. The Word of God is. What He has declared is. You want to love people, you want to care for people, know what loves them and cares for them. The Spirit of God, who declares through the Word of God the truth. We are Faith Bible Church for a reason. We surround 
This is more clever than it should be, but we surround the Bible. Our faith, our church, it's all around the Bible. We're not putting that on anything. I'm not trying to come up with clever slogans. But it's dead center. It's ours. Because the Word is His gift to us that we might worship Him. I pray that you would live so faithfully that your, your hope, your rest in Christ would be dictated to you not by your own heart, not by your own experience, not by the experience of others, by the Word of God. That you would encourage one another with the Word of God. That you would go to one another as we're commanded and we often reflect on Colossians 3. To let the Word of Christ dwell richly in you. Teaching and admonishing, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Why? For the glory of God? That we would be a people of the Word. That we would go, therefore, and we would make disciples and teach them to obey Him. And how do we know their obedience and ours? The Word. I could say it a hundred more times in a hundred different ways, but then you're going to start falling asleep. So I'm going to pray. We're going to depend on the grace of God. We're going to worship Him in song and in fellowship together. Daniel's going to lead us in communion as we reflect on the living word, Christ, who has died for us from his holy word in which he has given us. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is good and faithful. I thank you, Lord, as I look out at the people of Faith Bible Church, your people, God, that I know we value the word. I know we hold fast to it, Lord. I pray that you would help us to not be arrogant in it that you would help us not to love the Word to be puffed up, but that we would love the Word so that others might know and love you. I pray you would give us a faithful love for your Word, that our souls would be restored and we would look to restore the souls of others, that we would see your Son rightly, that we would judge our experience rightly, that we would know the truth in our handling of your Word. We thank you for your faithfulness. It's in the name of your Son we pray. Amen.